But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many as I can. And, if you'd like, you can go straight to our webpage at letstalktorah.net. Letstalktorah.net. We have all the archives, which means all the old shows. We have the new shows. We have the different years. It's broken up. You can search. You can find stuff. You can go with topics and all the hashtags. And I don't know all these things they use. And... You can send your questions and comments right there. There's a place for the comments. Just put it in and just type in quick, easy, short. We'll answer you no problem as often as we could, as much as we could. And, of course, you can hit the donate button, and that's really the help we need. Hit that donate button. We don't do any advertising right now. We're trying to stay away from the advertising. So let's, let's, uh, let's hit that donate button you enjoy the show, help out the show. We got to take care of the studio. We want to grow the show even more than it is already. So please hit that donate button. There's different levels for you. You need a shout out, a happy birthday, anniversary, memory of, whatever works for you. Of course, we're glad to share. And of course, in advance, I do thank you. So, you know, we're getting towards the end of the school year. We're right at the midpoint of June. And the end of school year, I hope, I hope, um, for your children, the end of school year is just the best. There's trips, and there's parties, and, and there's finishing up all the work we've been doing. And yes, I know when you're older, there's tests and finals. I know, I know. But really, really, a school year has to end on a high. And at least I know where I am, Shiva's Dachi Torah, it is, the place is hopping. I brought a friend into the building yesterday. Say so he really came. The day was over for most, and the building looked like a disaster zone. There was boxes and and papers and stuff all over the place. And I was explaining to him what's going on. He says, "Look, Rabbi." He says, I-, "I deal with real estate. Empty buildings. I know what empty buildings look like. I want to see buildings that look like they're lived in." where there's people who are alive, and if this is what it takes to look alive, I love it. And um, But I did explain to him, it's a, it's a really beautiful program. Um, they pick a topic every year, and then every grade will, will take that basic topic and get more specialized. For example, this year it looks like they called it underground or something like that. So, like, my third grade class did volcanoes. And another grade is doing caves. And they're going to show you caves and what caves look like, what come out of caves. And they're going to have their hard hats and the rooms are all papered up. And, and uh, that class, they saw they were talking about uh, rescues for miners. And, and you'll have a class doing under the sea and they'll do fish and exploration. And, and you'll have another class that'll do shipwrecks. And so each class is is honing in on their topic. And they're going to have to have, have posters up and pictures and diagrams and charts 
and they're going to give a presentation. So you worked on your project, so you're the expert now in your project. And then you will teach what you learned to the class that walks in. And then over a two, two and a half day period, every class will observe and and check out and learn and feel what the other classes did. I, I watched my class do volcanoes yesterday, and of course the the they don't give a gift. There's like some type of food or or a tchotchke or something that they give away. So the third graders decided that a can of soda would be an excellent way of describing a volcano. And they um, and basically there's instructions about shaking the can of soda and opening up, watch it explode, and that's like a volcano. And as long as they don't do it in my classroom. But it's beautiful. The class has put in a lot of effort, and the kids feel great. And I, of course, I love taking pictures, so I've been walking around taking pictures of all the classrooms. So the shipwreck classroom, they asked me to come back uh, because they have this great center with like a ship that's sinking in between blue paper and they have all this junk on the side that's I'm not sure what it represents so I did take the picture of it but I told him I said you know I want people right that was a, a picture by itself I can get a postcard right I know they worked hard and they they built it themselves but if I don't see children in the picture the picture has very little value to me but I got the children as well so hopefully we made them all happy. But let's back up a little bit. So when the children are doing their presentation, they feel great. Yes, the rooms look nice and they decorated and the projects and posters and, and diagrams and stuff. But at the end of the day, what do they like? They love giving over the information that they learned. Like any teacher. Everybody loves to teach. Everybody. Even if you're not teaching in a classroom, you're teaching your children, you're teaching uh, your coworkers. if you're the boss. Uh, everybody, as they move up, everybody likes to teach. Everybody. On which, whatever level you're doing it, because we like to give over information. We like that feeling of accomplishment that I am sharing information that I have, and the information I'm sharing is now going to be used by other people. We love it. I've told you in the past, I, I have a program in class where the boys have to say how they spoke nicely during recess. So every once in a while, a boy gets hooked on something, and then I have to start tweaking it. So the boy says, I gave someone advice. I said, I don't know what that means exactly. Like, what, what, why is that nice that you gave somebody advice? Like, are you bossing someone? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not bossing anybody. I, I, I was just helping him with whatever. I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to work on that phrase because we got to learn to talk nicely. That's what we've been working on with the class. But in any case, we all like teaching. And perhaps that's the problem that Korach seems to have in this week's Torah portion. Not the whole problem, but maybe part of the problem. Who was Korah? Why did he start up with Moses? It led to a tremendous tragedy. What happened? So first we need to know who this guy Korah is. First of all, he happens to be Moses' cousin. Second of all, he is an amazingly brilliant person. Because if you're going to argue with Moses about what God wants, 
right? And Moses is the one God spoke to. You're going to have to be amazingly brilliant to that people should even think they should watch you have an argument. And they're going to have to watch you have the argument, and it's going to have to look like you're winning, right? So you're going to have to be brilliant. You're going to have to be very, everyone's going to have to know you're a very holy person. Otherwise, why would they even waste their time with you? Because Korach is going to be coming to say to Moses, I don't like how you're giving over God's message. I think you got it wrong. <laughs> Moses, how, how could Korach, how, how could he even imagine? How could he think that he could argue with Moses? Korach is one of the four Levites that carries the Ark of the Covenant, the Aron HaKodesh, the Ark with the, with, the, uh, with the tablets in it which you had to be so holy that if your thought wavered while you were carrying the ark, you were a dead man. So Korach is brilliant. He's very holy. He's from the most important family of the Levites. So he has a lot going for him. He has a lot lot going for him. But what was he thinking? I mean, at the end of the day, Moses does the plagues, splits the sea, gets the Torah from God, is responsible for the man coming down from heaven, responsible for hitting the stone that we got our water supply from. What exactly is Korach thinking? And don't worry, when Korach coaches his argument, it's a beautiful argument. It says the whole Jewish nation is holy. We're all holy. But what did he want? What was going on over here? So there's no question he wanted honor. There's no question. There's a jealousy here. There's an honor over here. He feels he's been slighted. He feels he's been um, passed over that a, a job, a leadership position that he felt should have been his went to a cousin from a younger family. And that he he couldn't handle. But even that probably wouldn't have been enough that Korach should just completely turn. He had a wife. I hope a lot of us have wives. His wife, not a good wife. Why? She also wanted her husband to be very important. She understood her husband was a very holy man. You know, it's interesting. It's only the holiest, most brilliant, important people that end up fighting for these positions. In other words, me and you, we're regular people. Right? I, I am not fighting with people that I should be president of the United States. Right? What a joke. Right? It's only important, powerful, political people. So though the top of that group, they're the ones fighting for the position of honor. Regular Joes, we are not fighting for that because it's not, it's not in our purview. It's not something that we even imagine. Yeah, okay, we can have imaginations if I would be president. But really, really, none of us are. It, that's, that's, it's not even an imagination. It's just like a, a, a silliness, right? right? Think about this, right? So... Korach has to be one of these people that's all the way up there. And he has to be somebody that's almost deserving of a position. 
And then all he needs is the wife to push him over the edge. And she does. And Moses, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't think you're anything important. Why do you let yourself be a shmata? Right? Why do you let yourself be taken advantage of? You should stand up for your rights. You should be the leader. Why do you let yourself be stepped on? Does that sound familiar? I hope not. But there are wives that, that really they just want what's best for their husband. And they imagine that if they just push their husband, their husband would follow through and become that great person. But really, really, that's not a good wife. That, that's not. Yes, if a husband needs encouragement and a husband needs some direction, of course the wife is supposed to help for that. But if the wife does it in the wrong way, if she, if she is misjudging, misunderstanding who and what her husband should be and could be, and she pushes him to be something he's not supposed to be, so she will just bring total destruction on her family. And that's really exactly what Karek's wife manages to do by pushing her husband over the edge to go after what he shouldn't have been doing. Now, again, once Karek is standing there fighting the fight, it's his fault. Right? He's going to be punished as well because he went ahead and he, he actually instigated the fight with Moses. He only did it because he had the pushing of his wife. So his wife is, well, they're both carrying responsibility over here, right? You needed both. You needed the wife to be pushing, and you need Korach to go ahead and actually, you know, fight the fight. So really both are responsible, but there's no question that Korach is, is, is being pushed from the wife standing behind him. Because at the same time, we have another wife in this Torah portion who protects her husband. See, at the beginning of the Torah portion, we find four main instigators. There is Korach. There is Das and Aviram. Those are the two that are forever starting up with Moses, all the way back from when, when uh, Moses protected one of them from getting killed by the Egyptian. And then the next day, when Moses sees uh, these two brothers fighting, Das and Aviram, and he tries to stop the fighting... And they get angry and they go tattletale on Pharaoh. They go tattletale on Moses to Pharaoh. And uh, Moses has to run for his life to Midian for the next 60 years. So those are three. And their families are getting killed. And then you have the fourth person who we don't know very much about. But he was part of the original gang. His name is Own Ben Pelis. He was part of that gang that was on Korach's side. He was part of the Korach's leadership team um, because the verse tells us his name. It says Korach and Dosan and Aviram and On Ben Pelis. The problem is later on in the fight, Korach is there and Dosan and Aviram are there. Moses tries to placate them. He tries to go visit them and they, they don't want to talk to him. But Omben Pelis, all of a sudden, is nowhere to be found. What happened to Omben Pelis? So the Medrash tells us that Own comes home. I mean, I love this story. I say this story every year at this time. I just think it is the funniest story because it, it's so, it's so real. Right? Omben Pelis comes home, 
And he tells his wife, oh, yeah, me and the boys, we're starting up with Moses. We're going to teach Moses a lesson. Everybody should be holy. Everybody should be able to bring sacrifices. Everyone should be talking to God. We shouldn't just have Moses and Aaron lording over us. So Om Ben Pels' wife, a very smart lady, says, My dear hubby, my husband, what are you thinking? At the end of the day, you're all going to be leaders. You're not all leaders. Either Aaron will be the high priest or Korach will be the high priest. But it ain't going to be you. So at the end of the day, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. I love you. You're fantastic. But you are not going to be the high priest. So you're knocking out Aaron, so Korach is in charge. Korach dies, Aaron stays in charge. At the end of the day, you're still the same guy you were Today, yesterday, the day before. Nothing in your position is changing at all. So if I was you, my dear husband, I would take a step back and I would not get involved. And when the dust settles, you see who wins and you move on with life. So Owen says, oh, you're really right. But I promised the boys I'd be there. I promised I'd be there with him. I can't let him down. So his wife says, you could let them down. And you will let them down. They're going to come get me. What am I going to say? Don't worry. Why don't you have a nice glass of um, wine? Nice glass of wine. And you lie down, and I'll take care of everything. Okay. So he goes to sleep. And she goes outside. And she does something that was considered... Um, immodest. She uncovered her hair, starts combing her hair in front of the tent, and when the men came to pick up Omben Peles, so they don't want to walk down. See a lady who's immodest, right? Remember, this is a very holy fight. This is a fight with a bunch of very holy rabbis. You can't be walking in front of ladies that are getting undressed in front of you. That's immodest. Um, it is interesting, right, that uh, they could have just walked right past her. Right? They could have walked right past her, ignored her, and went and got her own and been on their way. It's interesting that we don't even discuss who these people were, because they also, in their own way, are special and, and uh, <laughs> saves own. Right? So we have wives that can help their husbands, we have wives that don't help their husbands. We have husbands that learn to listen to their wives when they're supposed to. We have husbands that don't learn to not listen to their wife when they shouldn't be listening. And Korah has these amazing arguments with Moses. Amazing arguments. He says, uh, he tells a story about a widow and she had a field and and she brings in her produce and 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 the and Aaron the priest says, oh, two percent to the Cohen, ten percent to the Levite. I'm a Levite also. Um, and uh, another ten percent is usually brought to Jerusalem. I said, the poor widow says, he's taking all my all my profits over here. You know what? I'm gonna sell the field. I'm gonna buy some sheep, and she buys the sheep. And the sheep has firstborn. Again, Aaron Oxford, eh, firstborn sheep, comes to me. 
Oh, man. I'm supposed to make money. And she shears out the first shearings. And again, Iron shows up, and Iron says, oh, this part of the animal belongs to me. Eh, I don't need this. Let me give the whole thing to God. Oh, you're giving it to God. It goes to me. Anyway, great story, right? He, he's perfect at making his story sound fantastic, but then blaming the story, right, blaming the suffering on the widow on Iron. I had a rabbi many years ago who said so, is Korach right or wrong in the story? So the question is, he's right. Where he's wrong is, if you follow and give all the tithes that God asks you to give, you're going to be fantastically wealthy. Right? Korach neglected that part of the story. Or he talks about, to Moses, he says, what if I have a robe full of blue wool? We talked about in the last show a little bit that the fringes um, in those days would have a blue dye. We lost that dye. At least the exact way to make that die. So um, why do we have that blue string? Because that blue string helps you remember the color of the ocean, the color of the sky, the color of God's throne. It helps you remember God. So therefore, Kirk says, what if my whole garment has this blue? Then for sure I have that memory. So why do I need the tzitzis? Eh, Moses, you're not understanding what God wants. And what about the mezuzah, the two, the parchment, the, the scroll that I put on my doorpost to protect my house called the mezuzah? So Carl says, what if it's a room full of books? Moses says, you still got to have the mezuzah. Carl says, eh, doesn't make sense. If two, if, if a little scroll protects me, what about a whole room? Carl has brilliant thoughts, Right? But at the end of the day, what is Korach thinking? This is really what, what, what I, I want us to come away with today. What is Korach thinking? He doesn't know that God gave the Torah. He doesn't know that God made rules and regulations. He doesn't know that God understands all of Korach's arguments and who cares. Right? What is Korach thinking? And the answer, I believe, is um, that when a person gets jealous, his brain turns off. We've talked in the past. When a person gets angry... So he doesn't think so good. You know, jealousy is the same problem. When a person gets really jealous, his brain is no longer thinking clearly. It's thinking only about what was bothering him, what he's thinking. I'm jealous. I got to deal with this. I got to take care of what's in my way. And Moses, by the way, is the opposite. He tries to meet with Korach. He tries to explain to Korach why he's making a terrible mistake. He tries to meet with Dustin Aviram. And, and, but it doesn't help. A jealous person cannot admit to making a mistake. You find people that get set in their ways and, and they just can't budge. And if jealousy is the reason why they can't budge, it's going to cause them destruction. It's going to be terrible. Even educators. Right? You know, Sometimes we get stuck in our ways when an educator gets stuck and he can't think of new and innovative ways to help the children, it's time to get out. Right? There's a lot of things to do in this world. And it's not like educators get paid that much money. Yeah, it's a great job. I love it. And I, I love teaching. But if you can't find new ways to help children, to help everybody when things are happening, it's time to get out. 
And what this jealousy creates, obviously, in, in the case with Moses over here, it creates tremendous arguments and fighting. And fighting is the worst, right? We need to create peace, not fighting. Um, I don't know if I'm going to finish this story now. I know my time is running quick, but the story goes, here's a man driving down the street, and he sees an older Jewish person pushing a stroller in the rain. And he slows down his car, rolls down the window, and he sees it's uh, Rabbi David Trink, great, amazing educator. And he says, Rabbi Trink, let me give you a ride. Get out of the rain. Put the carriage in my car. Get in. And he gets into the car, and he says, what's going on? Like, why are you pushing this stroll in the rain? He said, I tell you the truth. I saw a mother struggling. Oh, what I, we're going to have to get back to the story another time. But in any case, the music is playing. I hope you guys enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all our wonderful sponsor listeners, and I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have Jenna with us in the back. I hope I've left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.